Let's bring this a little closer, shall we? Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Second Chance Cinema. Just a quick reminder that we do curse, we spoil movie endings, and we sometimes have ADD. But it's all in good fun as we uncover another wonderful hidden cinema gem. Inhabitants of Picked Trees. This is Judge Dredd. Enjoy the show. Let him talk. In case some people have forgotten, this block operates under the same rules as the rest of the city. Mama is not the law. I am the law. Mama is a common criminal. Guilty of murder. Guilty of the manufacture and distribution of the narcotic known as slow-mo. And as of now, under sentence of death, any who obstruct me in carrying out my duty will be treated as an accessory to our crimes. You have been warned. And as for you, Mama, judgment time. I got him. He's only 10 levels below a South Quad Balcony, Terminal 5. Joy, a movie starring Jennifer Lawrence and some other people about a mop, I think, and the Home Shopping Channel. Fear, a movie starring Mark Wahlberg, Reese Witherspoon, and a roller coaster. Misery, a classic thriller starring James Caan, Kathy Bates, and a two-by-four worthy of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Psycho, a classic, one of the most important films of all time starring Anne Heche and Vince Vaughn. Glory, a violent, controversial depiction of the racial injustices of the Civil War that I watched in my 8th grade social studies class. Envy, a movie literally based on the premise of making shit disappear, and yet it still exists. These are all movies with one-word titles that represent emotions. And we're here today to discuss a similarly titled film that is infinitely better than all of those put together. Welcome to Second Chance Cinema. I am one of your hosts, MC. With me, as always, are... Uh, you know, I'm not even going to call him a special guest anymore. He's just another host now. First off, Spro. Spro, Spro, how are you? Good, how are you? Uh, what was the last uh, movie on your in your intro? Envy. Was it Envy. Envy. Jack, Black and ben, Jack Black and Ben Stiller. And I'm sure you haven't because, because at some point over the course of our friendship, at some point, I wished good things for you. And <laughs> the universe took that as don't ever let Spro see this pile of shit that is Envy the movie. So uh, well, thank you. Um, Again, you know, it fit the theme of movies with one word titles based on emotions. Also with us today, I suppose we could call him our uh, regular co-host, Jeremy. Jeremy, how are you? I'm doing very well, thanks, and very excited to be here today to talk about this movie. Did I leave any off that you guys can think of? Hmm. One word movie titles that are based on emotion, that, that represent specific emotions joy fear 
Misery, uh, Psycho, Fury, right? ar- ar- arguably. F- I did not say Fury. Fury was yeah. the movie with Brad what Pitt. was the yeah Shia the movie with a tank and Shia LaBeouf, and yeah. it, it wasn't in the army now. That one, it was yeah <laughs> Fury. That's yes. a good one. Glory, Envy, Psycho might be kind of a stretch, but I believe that's an emotion. Um, Serendipity and- is coming to my mind. <laughs> holy shit i don't even know that what was that movie even about that was john cusack right and the whole movie was like about this magic restaurant or something weird like that (laughs) no No, serendipity was uh him and kate beckinsale meet they never exchange names but they practically fall in love and then she goes if the universe wants us to be together she puts her phone number in a book and then puts it I think like in the post office box or something like that. And so then John Cusack spends like the next 10 years trying to find the one book he is about to get married. And then he like just stumbles into a library or something and goes, Oh my gosh. And finds her number in a book. And then, you know, I loved it. (laughs) Are you, are you fucking with me right now? That's the plot of that movie. That's the plot. Yeah. Serendipity. It's all about. I want after hearing that, I want all the listeners, both the listeners to hear me pouring my wine right now. (laughs) Because that sounds just absolutely ridiculous, but I'm so glad you added it to the list because it's such a fun one to say, number one, and it's a jovial lighthearted word which is the exact opposite of the movie title that we're about to discuss and of course if you've clicked on the link you know that we're about to talk all the way through the 2012 artistic masterpiece in my opinion dread so let's dive in on a surface level first dread the reason that we're talking about it is because, and I didn't realize how big of a financial failure it actually was. Even for a movie based on a comic book, which is sort of like, I feel like that's kind of like a gimme. Like at least you're going to recoup back the budget, maybe a little bit more, just because there's a built-in fandom. This movie, according to Wikipedia, like legitimately almost exactly broke even, which Aside from the and that was just box office. So minus all the marketing and uh, which we'll get into later because there really was none. But it was such a financial flop and watching it again, just it's a crime. It really is. And I guess then that would make it the perfect movie to talk about judge, jury and executioner because it's a crime that this movie is not is not more popular than it than it is. Yeah, I agree 100%. It blows my mind. And I always think of it as being a success because I've watched it a million times. And so I'm like, well, if I'm watching it, then everybody's got to be watching it, right? Because this movie Just like awesome. serendipity. Exactly. Like sometimes when you get so into a movie and you love it, you just assume that everybody else loves it. And so I'm always like, yeah, Dread. Dread was a hit. You know, I mean, the, the, they're going to make a Dread too. They're going to make a Dread TV show. Like it's it's going to be a franchise. And then you realize, oh, no. Nobody went to go see it when it came out, and um, like nobody went to go see it. Nobody. Yeah. I saw it in the theater, and from what I remember, it wasn't a packed theater, but it wasn't an empty theater. But it certainly wasn't one of those things that, like, y- y- like you went into the theater and you were like, "Oh yeah, this movie's not going to work." Because I'm pretty sure I saw it either opening weekend or the weekend after, and that's when you usually get the feel of like what the crowd size is going to be and 
whether or not the movie's going to do banging numbers and stuff. But I went to see it again because of the comic book hook and the trailers that showed what seemed like it could be a, a unique way of framing an action movie. Again, it just blows my mind that this movie is not more revered, I suppose, than it is. Well, here's what I think kind of happened. So I think, one, they were projecting it to be 8 to 10 million on its opening weekend. And then what happened was on opening day, it only raked in 2.2 million. The opening weekend ended up being 6 million, right? So then what people do is they go, oh my gosh, this didn't make even what it was projected on the low end. It's a flop, right? They immediately put that out there. I think audiences were waiting for word of mouth. They were waiting because Sylvester Stallone's dread, like, ugh, oh my gosh, you know, like everybody was kind of curious about uh, how this was going to be. And once they heard that it was a flop, they stayed away. And I think if somebody, if like the reviewers really put out there, like, no, 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 people should go see this movie. It is 10 times better than its predecessor of 1995. Like this movie would have gotten its just desserts. And that's a good point. I mean, one of the movies that we love on, well, that I love on this show is Street Fighter. And that suffered from the same sort of like premature pull from the theaters because it got shit on the first week. And so by the time there would have been any room for positive word of mouth, which likely there would not have been, it was in barely any theaters the second week. We'll talk about the Stallone dread in a bit because it's unavoidable, unfortunately. But let's go ahead and rebound from that that bummer of a movie and raise our spirits with The Wheel of Poetry. For those of you unfamiliar, The Wheel of Poetry is a longstanding tradition on Second Chance Cinema where we have a wheel set up, sort of like a prize wheel, Wheel of Fortune. And on that wheel are five different types of poetry slash verbal expression. They are haiku, ABAB poem, limerick, song parody, and toast slash roast. Uh, And what we do is we spin the wheel, and then whatever it lands on at random, we each have to compose a uh, a submission in that style while the trailer plays. And then we read them, and we laugh, and we are, are good friends, and then we talk about the movie, and that's when you get captivated. So if you're not captivated yet, just hang on a second. You will be. All right, Zathura, we landed on toast slash roast for the first time in a long time and only the second time in the show's history. This time, I'm happy to say we landed on haiku, which is sort of the the OG poetry of Second Chance Cinema. So we're each going to compose our own haiku to celebrate the movie Dread while you listen to the trailer. Spro, cue it up whenever you're ready. All right, let's play Time is passing at one percent its normal speed. If we play this right, we could take the whole city.
800 million people living in the ruin of the old world. Only one thing fighting for order in the chaos. The men and women of the Hall of Justice. Peachtree's is the manufacturing base for all the slow-mo in Mega City One. You know how often we get a judge up in Peachtree's? Well, you got one now. She has control of everything. Levels one to 200. This is Mama. Somewhere in this block are two judges. That's not good. I want him dead. We're gonna have to go through him. Rookie, you ready? Yeah. You look ready. Fire! Judgment time. Let's finish this. When you first started playing that trailer, I thought maybe like you accidentally hit like your trip hop grindcore playlist or something because it was just this weird like ethereal uh, atmospheric music, but then straight up goes into the trailer. And this is a podcast, so you can't see the trailer. But in addition to seeing the movie, watching the trailer is, is just as delightful as an experience. So we've got some haikus on deck. Who wants to go first? Mine's not anything special, so I'll go first. You say that all the time, and almost all the time, you're nothing but special. So stop talking <laughs> bad about one of my best friends, all right? <laughs> I combined, I actually combined two categories. I did a toast in the form of a haiku. Now that's, see, that's um, just showing, that's just showing off. But this is, okay, so I had actually, right as you were doing your opening, I found a name, and then I wrote it down. So it was already on my notepad. So you wrote, so you wrote a, what is it, a haiku and a toast slash roast? Right, around a that's, note that I had already written. <laughs> that's that's showing off. That's like hitting a grand slam with your own dick. That's that's just showing off. So, so here it is. Cheers, Robert Bentley, location manager man. I, Spro, salute you. Okay, we'll get into a little bit more about that. That's a deep one. And you combine toast and haiku seamlessly. I would expect nothing less from a published author slash screenwriter slash one of the best writers I know. Speaking of of the best writers I know, let's go over to Jeremy. Jeremy, you ready with your haiku? I am, yes. Um, I kind of tried to do a haiku that might also work as a tagline. For what the fuck? Why are, you, are you, why are you guys going off <laughs> script? <laughs> So I have Mega City One, dreads the dispenser of law, the puncher of face. <laughs> wow, that's that man, the puncher of face. That sounds like uh, that's, that's like the dollar store GI Joe um, figure that like your your grandma would get you and say, "I know you like those army men." So he is he is. I know you he, like army figures. I know you like army figures and wrestle men, and they he is they have this guy, the puncher of face. Here he is. So he doesn't have the kung fu grip, but he's the puncher of face. <laughs> 
He's the puncher of face, but only use it to punch bad guys, okay? All right, go play. <laughs> Here's mine. It's it's a straight-up haiku because I thought that's what the rules were. Thanks, Carl Urban's chin. At last, a movie that makes inhalers look cool. <laughs> I do nice. appreciate Spro, that as well. <laughs> Spro, as a fellow asthmatic, I think you can appreciate where I'm going with that. Oh, my gosh. I, I remember it was we were in a movie once. I forget who I was with, but the kid on screen, he was labeled a nerd. And the only thing that could be labeled nerdy about him was that he had asthma. And I just like was sat it, there with um, my arms was crossed. It, was, it, was it Sidekicks with Chuck Norris? Maybe. I don't think I saw that in the theater, though. That's okay. Nobody did. But that movie is completely rooted in that his, for lack of a better word, disability is asthma. And man, as someone who's... I've had asthma all my life, and there are so many nitpicks with how asthma is portrayed in that movie. Not to mention that uh, it's weird because I love that movie. Could probably quote it all the way through unprompted. But I fucking hate Chuck Norris, and I hate the way that asthma was just like, no, that's not what. That's not how asthma works, you guys. Joe Piscopo too was a delight. But anyway, is that the one where like he like throws his inhaler and then he has to go to the hospital? Or something yes, he doesn't have it on yes, him? Okay. yes. And the thing is, he was like, I had that inhaler. I don't, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but you know what, Spro, you're the editor, you make the call. But that <laughs> inhaler that he was holding, it was like a cylinder that extended and then folded up to form kind of like this right angle where you put the one end in your mouth and then you push down on the. Um, like the nebulizer cartridge and it was bright white. I had that same inhaler. That was a maintenance inhaler. You're supposed to take those like you take it in the morning, you take it at night so that your asthma doesn't flare up. It's like a it's like an ongoing thing. And he started having this just just disastrous asthma attack and he pulls it out of his pocket and starts puffing on it like it's a fucking vape. And and then he like he can't he can't catch his breath and he throws it on the ground in frustration. And he had some other shit going on with Winnie from the Wonder Years and you know not <laughs> not not learning karate but the whole time i was like he's the reason he sucks is because he's using the wrong inhaler like that's that's the that's that's the flaw in this movie among well, that's others. the thing right like that's that's like the same thing with like the goonies and mikey and his inhaler like he just took it like once every 30 minutes and i'm like you are not managing your asthma See, properly, that's, bro. that that one i don't remember as much that's all over the second we ride up troy's bucket but the big white that big white cylindrical inhaler i mean it looked like a tube of um the mutagen ooze from ninja turtles it was like that big and that bulky but very distinguishable and anyway back to inhalers so the premise of dread is that mega city one is essentially one of the last surviving dens of humanity on earth and it's just skyscrapers and alleys and highways and very futuristic and pretty much what you'd expect from like a dystopian comic book backdrop and there are the judges the judges are the police force that exists in mega city one and at the time of the movie their main 
target was this drug called Slomo, which was dispensed via inhaler, even though it looked like pancake syrup in the inhaler, it was dispensed via inhaler. And the effect it had on you was that it slowed everything down to, I think, like one tenth of a second. So that's where the beauty of this movie first is apparent. Right in the opening chase scene, it's it's like three hoodlums in a van and Dread is either chasing them or they're driving and then they're so tweaked out on slow-mo that they hit a pedestrian and then Dread starts chasing him. But the whole scene, as soon as they each take their hits of slow-mo, is done in slow motion and not like Zack Snyder, Justice League, Lois Lane getting coffee and being sad three times in the same movie slow motion, but like this really, really innovative and intuitive slow motion that drove the scene along at a regular pace. It was it was it, it was and it is unlike anything I've ever seen before in terms of the slow motion effect. Yeah, I totally agree because that's an effect that, that could have been really badly overused. Like, you know, after the Matrix, everybody had to have bullet time and like everybody had to have the camera like somebody freeze and then the camera goes around them and all that. I think even Wing Commander used that effect if you remember that movie. <laughs> Uh, both listeners, Jeremy is the biggest Wing Commander fan you'll ever meet. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, <laughs> listen. Anytime you get Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard together, you're gonna get cinema gold with okay, Checky so Cario, I believe. As Checky as... Cario. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I want to say Mark Hamill, but maybe he was just in like in the video. But maybe. Uh, uh, anyway, but back to slow motion. So anytime they, they, they come up with a new effect, either in the movie itself or then in subsequent movies, it gets overused. Um, but in this case, it was like, it's just perfectly placed in every scene. And it really does enhance the action. And the Justice League comparison is a good one because I really liked Zack Snyder's just, but they slow everything down. Like anytime anything happens, oh my they God. have to slow it down. And um, it somebody, does kind of somebody Somebody calculated, I don't know if you saw this, somebody calculated online, I think it was actually, it was either 10% or 12% of the entire movie is in slow motion. For a four hour movie, that's 40 minutes of slow motion. Yeah, that's That's a lot. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, like you said, it can be overused if it's not done in a way that number one, still keeps the pace of the action, which was high intensity before the slow motion kicks in. But somehow the director was able to... And the cinematographers were able to keep the like keep the intensity, the speed, and just like the the vibe of the action going, even though it was all in this really, really just sort of like crawling slow motion. Yeah, it's really innovative and interesting, and and they they go back to that effect a few times throughout the movie, and, and every time they do, it's not just like oh they hit the slow mo switch again because they needed to kill some time. It's it it, it it's always interesting and it's always compelling and it's always part of the story somewhere. Right. Spro, what did you think of the opening scene specifically, but that whole um, convention in general? Oh my God, I just thought it was beautiful. I thought, you know, it's almost kind of like taking what the Matrix did with bullet time photography and, and upping it. What was the other? Max Payne was the other bullet You time saw movie. Max Payne? Well, I played the game. I think I saw oh, the movie. Uh, was there a movie? <laughs> wait, wait, who was? Wait, no, there was a movie. Who was in the movie? Marky Mark is in the movie. I think. Oh, no, right. Mark, wait. Mark. No, no, he's right. Mark Wahlberg. But then there was the other one with i can't think of the guy from 
He's in Gone in 60 Seconds. He's the detective's partner. He's um he was the killer in Scream 2, that guy. No, he was the killer. Oh, not Nicholas Timothy Oliphant? Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant. He was in the Hitman. <laughs> Hitman. Hitman. Hit, Hitman or Hitman movies. Those Hitman, both yeah. were, I mean, those are bargain bin selections. All those but, like, mid-2000s video game adaptations are all really just terrible. But, but back to what you were saying, Spro, was like it, it became a convention. It became a, a cliche, really. Yeah, they would just do it to be like, oh, look how cool it is to watch a bullet fly through the air this was more like making sure that every detail could be defined and in the same instance it was taking horrific brutality and violence and giving it a sense of like uh beauty like say you know i don't want to skip to the end so i'm not going to spoil anything here if anybody wants to pause it halfway i don't know what our reader or what our listeners do if they pause it halfway through to watch the end of the movie but somebody is thrown out the window at the very end and they do the slow-mo and almost show like the glass shattering as like snowflakes falling and so mm-hmm. you're watching a person plummet to their death but there's a certain kind of like ballet you know beauty to it so it's, uh, i think i mean there's, there's yeah be- shot. beautiful is the right word yeah there's a shot in that sequence because this is post all of the chaos and destruction that has happened and there's like clouds of smoke that have you know that are billowing out from one of the floors that's on fire and they sort of fall into the cloud and it is it's really kind of like a beautiful image in you know the, when you think step back and think about what you're watching it's pretty horrifying but they really do make it kind of you know artistic and uh, poetic i was just thinking about the first shot that you see of mama and she's in the bathtub and she like slowly raises her hand outside of the bathtub and it's almost like you're watching you're like i don't think i've ever seen something and she is uh you know she is been through the mill so she's not the most attractive of characters i don't think anybody's really attractive in this movie but she lifts her hand and then like the light hits the water droplets and everything and you can see that they're just kind of juxtapositioning the the beauty and the horror what i was going to say is it reminded me very much of the scene in logan where professor x has his kind of breakdown and they're in vegas in the hotel room and he creates this like psychic earthquake or whatever they call it and logan has to fight through sort of his own body being torn apart but then he has to fight through all the soldiers trying to capture Professor X and the girl and it's all done in slow motion and the brutality of it is disgusting like it's it's I remember being I remember walking out of the theater being like I did not realize that there were so many places a human could be stabbed and it all came down to that one scene of just this slaughter but in this really really sort of poignant way and dreads the same way like the opening chase scene when he ends up confronting and shooting them like you see the bullet leave the gun um, with the sparks and then the bullet travels through and it travels through some set pieces or whatever and then it goes through the guy's chin and you don't just see like the bullet come out of the other side of his chin you see the flesh like ripple and you see like the blood droplets splatter and it's really just like those little details that you wouldn't notice if they weren't there but because they are there they make you go wow that's awesome they always do it in service of the story and in service of the character so it never it never feels like you're being like they're showing off you know which which a lot of times happens like you guys did with your haikus (laughs) so carl urban's dread is obviously the main protagonist with him is judge anderson played by uh, olivia thirlby and her character her character to me was 
like after the movie and I've seen this movie a bunch of times too, but after I watched it most, most recently for this episode, her character is such a, it's done very well in the movie, but it almost makes you want another movie because she's an empath, which means that she can read minds and feel thoughts, which is like basically the mega city one equivalent of like a mutant power. She's also a judge who has to be cold calculate or she's, she's a judge cadet candidate who has to be cold calculating dispense justice without hesitation so there are these scenes where she'll be in a situation where it's obvious there's a criminal in front of her but her empathy power will kick in and she'll see that like you know the criminal was being forced to do what he did at gunpoint and he did so to like save his family or something like that and that's a dynamic that was completely absent from the Stallone turd from 1995 but also like a really just cool plot point like that's that's a developed interesting character that has a genuine conflict going on that makes you wonder what's going to happen to her toward the end you know throughout the movie take it this is your first time to not send combat yes sir i'm wondering when you'd remember you left your helmet behind sir a helmet can interfere with my psychic abilities Well, they do such an awesome job of like creating her character and also showing the juxtaposition between uh, Dredd is he's violent and he's outwardly violent. And then here's his partner. And he also never takes off his helmet. His partner is Mm -hmm. the complete yin to his yang, you know, who is very soft. And she you could always see her face and she is able to get inside heads and she's able to, you know, show sympathy for like the woman's apartment that they broke into who has a baby like she is. the. You're right. This I mean, this could have been a whole series between these Mm -hmm. two, because as soon as the movie ends and he's like, yeah, I'm just going to spoil spoil stop listening to this now because i'm going to stop filtering myself at the end when he approves her you know like mm-hmm. you almost don't know if he will because she has pointed out several times like i'm not going to make it I, I broke this rule i broke that rule and he's such a stickler for the rules that mm-hmm. you think that maybe he might say no she she's not cut out for it but mm-hmm. he's approves her and you're like this is this is the first movie of a trilogy or it should have been. I don't, I, I, I might disagree with calling her soft. I think she's human. I think that compared to Dredd, who's perfect in this movie, who's meant to be, like you said, ruthless and very black and white, very, you know, by the book, ju- judge, jury, executioner. She provides the contrasting humanity, which is a great dichotomy in, in any sort of, even like in buddy cop movies, you know, it's like you said, the yin to the yang, it's, it's, it's just two sides of the one coin, the coin in this case being the profession or the career of a judge, and then sort of exploring what that actually means. The analogy you made about the Buddy Cop movie was really good because they could have, and they did in the Stallone movie, they gave him Rob Schneider uh, as kind of his foil. And they could have given him somebody who you know was more comical or more of an opposite in, in the sense of like their approach to the job and and kind of like a thorn in his side, but the, it ends up being much more of this sort of caring human relationship that she kind of 
brings out a little bit of his humanity in that he actually, you know, cares about her and cares about her well-being. And then she kind of becomes a little bit harder and a little bit more ruthless so that they complement each other very well. Well, you mentioned, and and the thing at the end is, like Spro said, she's got all these protocols she has to follow throughout the whole movie. It's, it's basically like a driver's test. Like she's got all these boxes that she has to check off in order to pass the test of being a judge. It's kind of like training day. Like she goes out with Dredd to the field for one day and you know if she is successful she gets approved to be a judge and then things happen along the way that she knows are violations of the code stuff that she can't can't necessarily control like i there was one very specific where she like oh she lost her primary weapon which was like an automatic fail or something like that things like that happen the whole way and then at the end when the I don't, was he the chief justice or the sky marshal or something comes up to dread and she's like, right. what's sky marshal from? What movie is that from? Starship, Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. That's right. When this, so when the sky marshal comes up to dread, she's like, uh, so what do you think? You know, pass or fail? And when I heard you called in a 1024, I thought I'd better check it out. Seems I forced the rookie on you. So what happened in there? Drug bust. Look like you've been through it. Perps were uncooperative. So how did she do? She a pass or a fail? She's a pass. Knew she would be. In that moment, you sort of recollect all the interactions they've had where he as Judge Dredd should have failed her. He sees that there are other benefits from having a judge like Anderson on on the team. It's an interesting arc because yeah, he starts to realize that there's not there's more than one way to approach the law. Like he has this blunt, no nonsense, unbreakable approach to dispensing justice. And then as the movie goes on, because of everything they go through, he kind of starts to see that there are some more shades of gray and there are other ways of going about that he kind of has an arc as well which is interesting too so let's it's unavoidable let's just dive into the stallone judge dread which came out in 1995 which was 17 years prior is it my math right on that yeah that's good that's good math right there thanks man all right so 17 years prior 1995 judge dread comes out the dna is a perfect match for judge joseph dread the evidence has been falsified it's impossible! I never broke the law! I am the law! No case! You gotta believe me! You have to believe me, Saint. And it's on. basically on, on the star power of Sylvester Stallone and Rob Schneider and Max von Sydow. Um, and Armand Asante. How could I forget Armand Asante? I don't even know where to start with the criticism of that movie. First off, as as a 13 or 14 year old kid, I loved it. It was colorful. It was loud. It was bloody. It was stupid. There were cool guns and big robots and stuff like I. It was awesome. As I got older and even started, you know, kind of like dipping my toe into the, the comic book world of Judge Dredd, I realized like just what a 
fucking stain it was on that character. And really, it's not completely because of this, but I think a good 90% of why that movie just went off the rails the way it did was because of the fact that he took off his helmet. You see in Dread, the movie we're talking about now, just how powerful the expressionism can be with an actor like Carl Urban, who basically acted that whole movie with his chin and lips. Whereas, you know, Stallone, I think the first scene you see him, he takes off his his helmet. There's a big like panning up his body shot, his skin tight ass leotard and then his muscles and then his face. And it's like, OK, this is a Sylvester Stallone movie that happens to be named Judge Dredd. And, you know, that movie has been shit on for decades. And looking at it now, rightly so. Like you said, Jeremy, Rob Schneider was just a terrible foil. Um, even Diane Lane in the movie was supposed, I forget if she was, I don't think she was Judge Anderson in the movie, but she was his sort of like his confidant, his, his mm-hmm. like the one other judge. He, he, of course he was like, I don't trust anybody but me, but she was the other one judge <laughs> that he kind of trusted. And even she was just sort of like disposable. Her character was just like, yeah, we need to get a girl judge. And, and they did. And, you know, again, the effects, the set pieces, the color and the sort of like novelty of that movie was not wasted on me as a kid. But this movie is just so, so superior that it's one of those things where you wish you could like do the thing with the uh, photograph from Back to the Future and just erase Judge Dredd from existence. Like you wish yeah. Judge Dredd was m- wearing the Mickey Mouse t-shirt <laughs> and just got erased from existence. You want to hear something funny? A little funny piece of trivia? I don't know anything about inflation, so this is probably even worse than what I'm about to say. But Judge Dredd 1995 had double the budget at $90 million than Dredd of 2012. $90 million. And I'm sure a ton of that went to salaries too, which on <laughs> one hand is kind of bullshit. But on the other hand, there were some cool practical makeup effects. That whole, the the ABC robot was cool. And, and, and you know what? Maybe part of this too, I was thinking is the fact that we've become so spoiled with comic book movies. The Marvel universe has become for all of us and probably both of our listeners has been a literal 10 year journey that has been not without flaws, but but pretty remarkable. Even the DC, the dregs of the DC extended universe are best left untalked about. But, you know, it's clear that they're making steps at, at the very least to listen to the fans and provide some fan service, which is a good thing. The The original Judge Dredd from 1995, rather, was just such a misfire that looking back on it now, it was like, it, it almost seems like, how hard was it to adapt Judge Dredd into a movie? Like, how hard would that have been? It's a shame because it could have been cool, obviously, because the 2012 movie is amazing. Let's go back to the the villain in in Dread. I forget what her full name was, but it turned into the abbreviation Mama because like her first name started with M.A. and her last name started with M.A. And then she took on this role as basically the landlord slash crime boss of this apartment complex in Mega City One. We have her on record from her whoring days. The picture's pretty old, but that's her. Madeline Madrigal, a.k.a. Mama, ex-hooker from the S9 Pleasure District. Quit working when she got sliced up by a pimp. She got her own back. Block legend says she feminized the guy with her teeth. Took over his business interests and never looked back. Anyone else, you'd say it was bullshit, right? Now with Mama, 
Her trademark is violence. Not so long ago, there were three main gangs hustling for control of peace trees. The Peyote Kings, the Red Dragons, the Judged. Their mama arrived. started working her way down. Nine months later, she had control of everything. Levels one to 200. All hers. How'd she get away with it? You know how often we get a judge up in peace trees? Well, you got one now. And she was the one behind the manufacturing of all the slow-mo in Mega City. And she basically baited Judge Dredd and Anderson to come to, and this was kind of unintentional, but ended up baiting them to come into the apartment complex. When she realized that there were judges in there, she calls for a lockdown of the apartment complex, which was awesome. Like, it's just like this. I mean, it was nothing more really than these like bulletproof shutters going over all these windows. But there was this real sense of impending, like, what the fuck are they going to do? How are they going to get out? And then the only choice they have is to go up and find her and kill her. And so they go through. And of course, she gets on the yeah, she gets on the PA, I think. And she's like, you know, there are two two judges in here. Whoever disposes of them will get like, I don't remember, like a gift basket with like honey mustard pretzels or something or like live rent free in 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 the apartment complex. She gives an incentive to kill the judges. So now the entire uh, or at least the majority of the apartment block is out hunting for these two judges who are without backup. And that's the entirety of the movie. How do they survive? How do they get to the top? How do they defeat this villainess who was amazing? Her character was like terrifying. Like she was she was physically terrifying. Her screen presence was just eerie and creepy and and just like unsettling. And it really just made you feel a sense of wait for it. Dread. Uh, It was Lena Headey that convinced them to make her middle aged. And that's, I mean, and really that's all she was. Like, she wasn't this, like over-the-top, like, you know, lavish costumes or anything like that. Like, she was basically just this lady in a tank top and pants with scars on her face, matty hair, but her mannerisms and her dialogue and her delivery and everything was just so on point that she became, you know, like, the the type of character that you might see her as in another movie would be just, like, a vagrant on the street or something, but through all the work that she put into it and all the, you know, like, I said the mannerisms and the characterization she became this like legitimate threat I I mean the first thing she does I forget who they were they were like slow-mo dealers or something she's like skin them and throw them off the balcony (laughs) and and they do so she makes them take the slow-mo before they do it so that oh right takes like twice as long in their minds so it's truly horrifying basically these three like burlap sacks full of meat just fall from Mm -hmm. 200 stories and explode on the floor and that's when the judges are called in um and that's when we get our first introduction to like this is this is how mama runs things yeah and she gives that that speech that she gives to the complex is is terrifying because it's basically like you know stay out of our way if you're not going to help out help hunt down the judges stay out of our way until the shooting stops peach trees this is mama Somewhere in this block are two judges. 
I want him dead. Until I get what I want, the block is locked down. All clan, every level. Not the judges down. Everyone else clear the corridors and stay the fuck out of our way until the shooting stops. If I hear of anyone helping the judges, I will kill them and the next generation of their family. As for the judges... You better move. Sit tight. Or run. Makes no difference, you're mine. Like she, you could see that the the complete control that she has over everyone, whether you're good or bad or, or not, you're basically under her thumb. The only response to her speech was "Yes, ma'am." Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. I got putting myself in that situation. I was like, well, I'm at my house, and I hear that over the intercom. I'm staying put. I'm not going to move. Like, I'm so terrified just by by what I'm hearing that I'm not going to even think about stepping out outside my door. So, one of the elements in this movie that was really intriguing to me was the corrupt judges like uh and this happens toward the end of the movie spoiler alert i guess but dread and anderson are eventually allowed to or or eventually figure out a way to call for backup so they call for backup backups radioed in and they're like we're gonna get a reprieve here i think if i remember correctly two backup judges come but they're kind of ineffectual they're just basically like knocking on the door like hey you guys got a problem in here we can we can be of assistance and they just kind of hang out and then after that four more noticeably more badass judges come up and basically relieve the stooge judges of their duty come into the um complex so at that point you're like oh, okay here's the real backup and then like within minutes it's revealed that they were called by mama and that they're in league with her and that basically they're essentially corrupt cops who she's now paying to hunt down the judges but yeah i mean the corrupt just, judges no go ahead spro oh mine was it wasn't about the corrupt judges i was just i just realized that the guy they're hostage was julius from remember the titans that took me I couldn't so place him long. I was watching. that took me so long i had to wikipedia it. i i gave myself the whole movie and i was like this guy is familiar he's from another movie that you know and that you love you'll figure it out by the end and i did not and um, I had to Wikipedia it. And yes, he was Julius from Remember the Titans. Kind of heartbreaking because he was a real asshole in this movie. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Wood Harris, uh, the actor, because he those are two completely different roles. And he nailed them both. Like, that's mm-hmm. why I couldn't peg it. Like, I was like, I've seen him before. And then also you're like, oh, it's the guy with the kind eyes in Remember the Titans. And yeah, this time he's vo- like, oh, he was the voice of reason in Remember the Titans. And now he's. <laughs> He's telepathically um, assaulting uh, Judge Anderson. So this is right. this different. Um, He's not, but, not nice. Uh, he, what was it? He he could have benefited from a run-in with the puncher of faces. Is that what it was? Yes, <laughs> the puncher of faces. The puncher of faces. The other thing that, uh, and this is just kind of random, but going back to the Olivia Thirlby character and her 
power of empathy. One of the like, I hesitate to say heartbreaking, but I can't think of a better word. There's a scene where there are mercenaries after Mama makes her announcement. And of course, there are all these bros out with their guns trying to hunt down the judges. And they end up, there's this group of like four or five guys that they end up killing. And the last guy, she, Judge Anderson, dispatches herself after sort of being prompted by Dread. Like he says something like he, like he lists all the crimes the guy committed and then says something like sentence death and then she you know point blank to the head shoots him later in the movie they're trying to sort of like weave in and out of safe spots they knock on the door of this apartment this woman lets them in and offers them refuge and then after that scene as they're leaving both the judges walk by like a shelf of family photos and you see a photo of the guy that she just shot in the head and you realize that it it was that woman's husband or boyfriend and that scene to me was just like fuck that's like like that that's fucked up yeah and and her expression when she realizes that 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 she's just executed because also they have a kid together right so you know, somebody's father that she just executed that really forces her to reevaluate a lot of her choices and her role and and executed is the perfect word because it wasn't like a shootout killing like she like he was alive and the chaos had stopped and dread you know said dread things and then she still under the pretense that she was being evaluated like just dispatched him without without remorse and then that reveal that he was this lady's significant other or whatever like that was that was a tough one to swallow yeah it's it's really uh it's pretty brutal and but it's it it, it shows that this movie has layers too that the the villains aren't all just you know targets for dread uh to shoot at you know they they do humanize them in some way you know sometimes you know by by showing their lack of humanity but they do kind of make them more complex and more interesting villains and more interesting characters that you know now that's that said there aren't plenty of disposable characters throughout this movie because many many people are just there to be shot to pieces but there are moments where they do really kind of delve into a little humanity and a little character development that's interesting the body count of the film is 102 wow i'm surprised <laughs> that that's low because there's that whole scene where they where mama shoots up an entire floor of the building. That's right, with like the, the Jesse Ventura Predator gun or whatever it was. And it just goes That's on right, yeah. and on and on. <laughs> like, doesn't, doesn't she collapse? Like, she shoots it and like collapses the, the building or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah like, that was yeah, bananas. There's just like concrete that's just like liquefying and it's right. just, you know, like they basically right. could ba- they barely get out. They have to actually go outside the building. They blow a hole in the wall. Like, that's right, know, yep. That's right. So eventually that uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. And then there's like these bros skateboarding on the side of the building. And you have to wonder, like, are they just like, I guess you can assume. Well, I don't I don't want to assume that they were high, but maybe they couldn't hear what was going on in the building or they were just so into skating that they were like, skate or die, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, Spro, do you have any reviews pulled up? I do. All right. It started with saying that September is a dump month for movies. And this this came out September 21st, 2012. So there are always exceptions to the September dump month rule, but given its vital 
stats, you wouldn't be faulted for casting a wary eye at Dread, a 3D actioner set in a ruined urban dystopia and arguably better suited to a summer release. Add to the red flags that this film is actually the second attempt at adapting the long-running British comic about a law, law enforcement officer with the power of judge, jury, and executioner. 1995's Judge Dread, starring Sylvester Stallone, was a critical and financial disappointment, and the smart money would say, avoid this iteration. Forget the timing, and forget the overstuffed, schlocktastic Stallone movie, unless you'd like to relive some truly spectacular line readings. Not only is Dread a smart bit of September counter-programming, it's a gleefully audacious, visceral, near-perfect action movie. High praise. <laughs> yeah. Writer Alex Garden, who penned the sci-fi thriller 28 Days Later, and the more personal Never Let Me Go, he also, for our Second Chance Cinema listening audience, wrote the book that The Beach was based off of. You love that movie. Oh my gosh, it's such a getaway. Uh, this resists the impulse to overload on fan service mythology, instead presenting Dredd's complex and potentially overwhelming source material through the sharp lens of a day-in-the-life story. While Dredd himself is mostly a conundrum, Urban brings nuance to the character, infusing him with a bestial but purposeful physicality and giving him a harsh voice that would beat Batman's to a pulp. As Anderson, Thurlby grounds the film emotionally. The stakes for her are higher than just her own life, as she experiences for the first time the realities and costs of the job. Finally, there's a cynical way to look at Dread. If it's successful, proof for Hollywood that eventually any property can be made to work, but that would miss the point entirely. Dread works because it's an action flick with wide appeal that takes risks it doesn't need to, and it's delightfully off-putting violence and daring style, and those choices pay off in a singular and exhilarating movie experience. It's savage, beautiful, and loads of fun. So, Spro, you're the most connected to Hollywood here. Is September release like for a movie is that like a death sentence or is that like, like why is that a bad time to release a movie i get why it's not summer but why is that a bad time to release a movie it's not really like obviously you got the summer blockbusters and the winter award flicks right so mm-hmm. february is traditionally dump month february is when the crap is going to come out september it wasn't until i read this review by joel arnold in npr saying that september was a dump month that i was like yeah, I guess like the kids are going back to school and and everything like that. But it's it's traditionally February, just September, I guess. Just it's kind of like being a sophomore in high school. You know, you're not the new uh, person. Okay. You're okay. not like you know putting in college applications. It's sophomore month. I would throw in. Okay, that's fair. The other thing um, that we haven't talked about, but that deserves mention, is a movie that came out one year prior to this called The Raid, which was, I don't know if you could even call it underrated at this point because it's become such a cult film, but it basically follows the same premise. In this, in The Raid's case, it's not just two people, but it's like a battalion of special forces police officers who get trapped in a building and essentially have to fight their way to the top. It's, it's structurally very much the same. The Raid, directed by Gareth Evans. Isn't there a Gareth Edwards also? Yes, who did Godzilla and... Rogue One. Yes. Okay, so The Raid, directed by Gareth Evans, is... One of my favorite movies of all time, only because the it's the first movie I think that I've seen probably more than, I don't know, 20, 30 times. And every time I watch it, I still wince, even though I know exactly what's coming. Like I know exactly who's going to get stabbed, where they're going to get stabbed, what bones are going to get broken, what bullets are going to go where. And I still wince. And that's just how like beautifully and masterfully it's shot. 
that came out the year before Dread, and then Dread followed uh, in 2012, and again, it was sort of the same the same type of premise, where it's this like cat and mouse thing. Two you know heroes are trapped in a situation that seems inescapable, and they have no choice but to fight their way to the top. And you know, I, I remember reading reviews or maybe blog posts or whatever that compared the two, and I think that that's for both films is a really high compliment to compare the action, the storytelling, even with like the most basic of elements and even the character development. Like I think that that those two movies came out so close together that it was almost like overload. Like it was almost like too much of a good thing. Yeah, I think sometimes the raid may have hurt Dread in some ways because there were comparisons and some people were like, oh, it's just like the raid, so I don't want to see it, you know, and whatever. <laughs> your, your ain't it cool news fanboy voice is... <laughs> Um, just as good as whatever the other one you They're did before. Off the raid. You know, it's, if, if I didn't think it would mess up the podcast, I'd, do, I'd start pounding on the keyboard at the same time. So just imagine <laughs> you find a sound, we'll, fi- we'll find a sound effect and add that in. This is different. I don't like it. You know, it's just like, okay, okay fine. Whatever. <laughs> Or oh, this is I mean, the it, same. It was the, the it, 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 it's a convention though that like I'm I mean and it's it's almost like a diehard kind of thing. Like it's self-contained in a building and it's basically like a video game, like fight from level to level, beat all the bad guys on one level, advance to the next level, and then beat the final boss. Do you guys well, say that's fair? Or is that, it's what? Yeah, I mean it's unities, right? It's the uh the three principles of Aristotle's poetics. It's it's requiring I mean, this is theater, but it's requiring a play to have a single action um, in a single place within a course of one day is what all those are like. It's it's a tale as old as time, really. And I love it. Like any movie. Did you just quote Aristotle? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I studied that. (laughs) Like what? Wow. I'm about half of halfway through the bottle of wine right now. And I thought I heard you say Aristotle, but I was like, no, that that can't be right. He said like Arsenio Hall or something like that. (laughs) But like that's I mean, it's Aristotle's poetics. Like it's very um, when a film does this. It, it's so good. And I know that, you know, a writer as far as like Alex Garland is concerned is he knows this about what he's doing. But I mean, essentially Dread is about a judge trying to escape one building, right? Spending the entire time in a building and it's all within 24 hours. It nails all those three points. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, this is... I mean, same this with the raid, same with Die Hard. Yes, it, right. So, I mean, like, I would put this, I don't know, and I texted it to you about, I would put this above probably Dark Knight Rises and maybe put it, like, on course of, like, Dark Knight as far as, like, movie telling experiences. You mean, like, in the Batman canon or just action movies in general? Ju- well, just comic book superhero movies and that's oh, okay. i mean judge dread isn't a superhero but he's definitely a comic book and as far as like comic okay, book right. movies are concerned like this marvel marvel for everything that it did well and told a story throughout the time there was a lot of movies in there where i was like jesus christ this like everything is like the end of the world right there's like, a lot I yeah st- there's there's i a started lot. like relishing the ant-man movies because i was right. like oh it's such a simple like thing that they need to fix 
Right. And it's it's lesser so. So like this, this and Logan. Yeah, I just like these movies that are just more steeped in in realness. I guess. Well, when you have when you have the and I've <laughs> I've been listening to some of our old episodes, but when you have and I use this word a lot is is why I'm saying that. But when you have the mechanism of this claustrophobic setting where it's so contained that all you're able to do as a director or writer is develop the characters. That's a cool thing because, you know, John McClane was developed over the course of fighting bad guys floor by floor and interactions with Hans over the walkie talkie. You know, in the raid, the the hero character is developed the same way, fighting floor by floor, awesome battles, incredible cinematography, incredible fight choreography. Then there are, you know, little surprises dropped in that reveal more about his background and things like that. And by the time you get to the end, you're fully invested in these characters. Same thing with Dread. Like when you when you get to the end of Dread, you know that he's going to kill Mama somehow. You don't know how awesome it's going to be until it happens. And then it happens. And then you underestimated how awesome it was going to be. When they get to that final boss level, he gets to Mama's penthouse and they do the thing where it's like, just so you know, I've got this, you know, uh, wristband that's tied to my heartbeat and, oh, and right. my heart stops, the explosives will go off and you're like, dun, dun, dun. like they, they've done that before in other movies. You know, yeah. like if I die, the whole building is, and he just throws her out a window. Well, <laughs> but he's like, and I, I, I love this part because he was just like, do you, he's like, do you think the signal will transmit through 200 floors of concrete and it's like that's a that's a valid question clearly they teach engineering at judge academy because that's a valid question i mean depending on who who built depending on who built her wristwatch or whatever like that it probably doesn't so he just says fuck it and throws her off the building that's awesome that's awesome factor that into her master plan and you can see it in her face when he brings that point up she's like oh she's like damn it What do you figure the range is on that thing? Gotta get through 100 levels of concrete. How about 200? Let's find out. Should have paid twenty nine ninety nine for the extended range. <laughs> <laughs> One of the pieces of trivia on IMDb that I really liked that nobody else really did because it's only got like a forty out of one hundred fourteen likes. But uh, was at the end, Judge Dredd reads Mama her charges and says, "How do you plead?" She replies with silence. He says, "Defense noted." Then throws her through a window. The act of throwing someone out of a window is called what? Defenestration. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It is defenestration. Because isn't finest- how do you know that? Isn't a, well, wait, know. isn't isn't fenestra or fenetra Latin for glass Shut. or window? Shut. Okay, no, 
seriously. Don't point out the fact that I quote Aristotle and then just come out with like Latin words. I don't know if it's Latin. It might not be Latin. It might be French or something like that. But fenetra, fenestra is definitely um, a translation for a window or glass or something. That's interesting. Defense noted. I, yeah, nice. Because and and it's so it's so oh, much. I just picked up on that. The defense noted. Defense. It just makes you want to just ball up 1995 Judge Dredd and flush it down the toilet even more because the last thing he says to Armand Asante is, I knew you were going to say that. And then he throws him off the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, fuck you. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just so disappointing. The other trivia that I liked is uh, rookie Cassandra Anderson is explicitly shown using her telepathic abilities as a weapon, most notably when she has a duel in the center of the mind with Kay that leaves him wetting himself. If you pay attention during that oh, scene, yeah. however, you'll notice a more subtle use of her powers. She lets Kay shoot at her with her own sidearm during the imagined fight, thus planting the idea of using yes. her weapon against her in his mind. When he later does so for real, it turns out very badly for him, as the lawgiver will explosively self-destruct if anyone but the judge in his DNA coded and issue two tries to use it. No, that was one, and that was one of the things from 95 Judge Dredd that was cool, was like it was, uh, it wasn't as cool as, as this one, but like some bad guy picked up, and it was so, so just like, just, just over the top, but he picked it up. He's like, I've got the lawgiver, man. And then it's it it flashes like DNA unrecognized and like shocks him into I don't know, kills him or something. But in this one, it's way, way more subtle. It's it's a slow, slow, slow build, and then it blows his fucking arm off. And then he just yeah. sits there like in shock and then dies. It's awesome. I didn't realize that. That's a good that's that's a cool, like subtle. You're right, because she did plant the idea in his head and then he um like and then that's how it played out welcome to the inside of your head it's kind of empty in here i don't know what kind of mutant shit this is but if my hands weren't cuffed you aren't cuffed if you don't want to be <sighs> My head. Do what I like. Sure. Thinking about hurting me doesn't actually hurt me. Yeah. Points to you. Except there is that thing. What thing was that? That I know how to freak you the fuck out. See, if you're talking about my fucked up head versus your fucked up head. Your fucked up head is gonna lose. I figured that would shut you up. Hey, I can play mind games too. Ah, you fucking bitch, you sick fucking bitch! We haven't even started.
That was great. There was a lot of like psychic trickery that went on back and forth between those two. At points, you didn't know what was real and what was being imagined. And I thought that was really cool. The only other trivia that was interesting to me was despite an active social media fan supported campaign, director Pete Travis has said that there will not be a sequel. Now to point out to this, I mean, that's cute and all, but the director has no say over a sequel as far as like the studio owns it, the comic book, you know, this is an entity that so many people own and for whatever reason and I couldn't figure it out and maybe Jeremy you know or MC but the there was something weird about Pete Travis and this movie like he was a director but then he wasn't allowed in the editing room and then Alex Garland the writer kind of took over but Alex Garland like he he denies that he might have been somewhat the director like there's a whole lot of like gray area to who actually directed this film maybe they were all uh, high on slow-mo I read the same thing that there was some kind of issue with the director or something but um so i don't know i don't know exactly how that all worked out but maybe he just means it's not gonna be a sequel that he's gonna miss he's not welcome back Um, i mean for me that would be just like 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 there are i wouldn't call this a perfect movie by any means but there are some movies that you know you just want to be left alone and like this is a per well i was gonna say perfect but this is a very very capable standalone movie that exists completely self-contained and it's just awesome all the way through yeah i would agree that as much as you would love to see because carl urban is so good in that role and as much as you would love to see him return and it's like all these great things that you would want to happen and that you would all these stories and all these characters from the comics that they could delve into as much as you want all that if, if it's not meant to be better to leave it alone than to like churn out some piece of garbage you know that uh ruins the original no matter who Directed. I don't think we'd end up with Dread Endgame in this case. Right. I think it's just like I read too, um, whether it was like interviews or just press clippings from Carl Urban, and he was totally like, "Yeah, the marketing really fucked up on this movie. Like they, <laughs> the the reason the reason this movie tanked isn't because it's a bad movie. It's because the marketing did a terrible job. And you know, do with it. I, regardless of, and I don't want to you know misattribute whatever he actually said, but he's absolutely right. Because if if I wasn't a comic book fan and, you know, you weren't a comic book fan and whoever saw this movie was not a comic book fan, nobody would have gone to see this movie when it came out because it was completely unmarketed. Yeah, I don't think they had any idea. And, you know, I'll be honest, it's a tough sell if you don't know the character. of this. And the only experience you have with Dread is the Stallone movie. And you go, why are they doing another one of those? And it's, right. it's got a main character who doesn't show his face. There was the biggest star aside from Carl Urban was Lena Headley who was on Game of Thrones at the time there's no other stars in the movie and uh, it's super violent can we just briefly address the scene where uh, Cassandra Anderson is captured by the two guys and she uh, grabs his gun and puts it under his chin and just pulls the trigger and empties the clip into his face and it's oh I mean it just turns like it me. was it's it's unapologetically violent but it's not just violence for violence's sake like there's I mean, like, dare I say there's art to it. Like, there's, there's, there there's is. style. Style, I think, is the better word. There there's is. style well, to that, it. That's what I was referring to. I had never seen that. I had never right. seen that happen to a person in a movie before. Right. And it made me go, oh. But it also made me go, oh, like, whoa. Like, we're in, like, this is a movie that doesn't play games at all. Like, uh, in any way, shape, or form. It just goes full tilt from, from the first frame. And, uh, and, and I applaud it for that. But that's it. So I think it's a hard it was a 
hard sell. It's an ultraviolet movie, no stars, and the only familiarity, unless you knew the comic books or the Anthrax song, I Am The Law, which is uh, about <laughs> Judge Dredd. Um, unless you knew those, the only thing you know is the Stallone movie that's a piece of garbage. So, Well, it, it was also, worth noting, prior to Dread coming out, we had Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, The First Avenger, and then Marvel's The Avengers. So those were all MCU movies. Actually, that capped off the entire phase one before Dread came out. So superhero movies were redefined, um, arguably forever, but certainly before Dread came out. And that probably hurt it too. But the MCU, the MCU set the tone for superhero movies from then on. There was the, there was Batman Begins, The Dark Knight. And when was Dark Knight Rises? That was like 2013, I think. Right. So that was was 2012, same year. Okay. So, so even the darkest superhero movies at that time were still relatively accessible to just about everybody. Dread definitely wasn't. No. That's the thing. It's not a movie you could take kids to or uh, or shouldn't. But I mean, Spro, what do you think? Like all those movies that I just listed from the MCU phase one, like they painted superheroes as they made the template of superheroes. They were either, uh, I mean, they were all super colorful, super, super strong and righteous, but also funny and kind of human. None of them were going and emptying clips into criminals' heads. Right. Well, it's, you know, that's the Josh Whedon superhero. You listed those films and I was like, man, phase one wasn't that good. <laughs> you know, like when you think like how it all started, like I don't know. I Iron Man, I will say, is one of my top three, is like in my top three of superhero mm-hmm. films, along with Logan and then I'm dicey on the other ones or mm-hmm. anything like that. I think we need to point out that Dread though was rated R and they didn't know that a rated uh, R hero film would work out until Deadpool. Right. That's a good point. And Dread did definitely Dread was rated R for the I mean, Dread was a serious R. Dread was a hard R for violence and um, just just, you know, gore, whereas Deadpool was like violence and gore with a cherry on top kind of you know it was like it was it was self-aware so you're right that's a good point i didn't even think of that dread was rated hard r and um that was almost let's see avengers came out in may 2012 so that was what may june july august september that was four months after avengers that dread came out and people just weren't like people people were still high on the avengers i think and they weren't interested in seeing a rated r dark superhero film i'm reading right now that carl urban came out himself and said that alex garland was the director of the movie so like his first three films were dread ex machina and annihilation and then also apparently yeah. And so then I, apparently they are uh, developing a TV show called Mega City One. So it's not like mm. about Judge Dredd particularly, but probably judges um, patrolling the streets of Mega City One. I mean, sign me up for that. Or... That sounds awesome. Well, Carl Urban said that he would come back and play Judge Dredd no matter you know who asked him. So maybe he'll come back, but that's only if they ask him. I mean, nice. that would be an interesting. Um, I mean, because The Boys is fantastic. And that's sort of like that's a that's more of a satire superhero, but 
kind of like a grimy rated R take on superheroes, but yeah. um, it shows that there's a market for that sort of thing. So that would be awesome. Yeah. That would a, be a Mega awesome. City One series on Amazon Prime would be great. They, It'd be nice really to switch right. from like, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier over to Mega City One and back and forth and back and forth. There's something for everybody here. That's what Second Absolutely. Chance Cinema is all about. There's something for everybody here and, and everybody should love Street Fighter. That's that's basically our mission statement. And who wants to go with me? I drank the whole bottle of wine <laughs> and um, it's gone now. So I'm going to have to hide it from my wife before she gets home from pottery. Final thoughts, anyone? Man, I got so much. I feel like there was so much that, that like I had in my head that I haven't even gotten out about dread. It's just get it out. Take take just, take the brain laxative. Get it out. <laughs> yeah, it, the floor is yours. No, it's just no. I don't even know. I can't even articulate all of it. It's just uh, <laughs> it, it frustrates me so much that the movie is not more recognized or more well known than it is. Even if they don't do a sequel, I mean, I could I could live with that if it was just a one and done. You know, one of my all time favorite movies, Buckaroo Banzai. Like you know, but that movie at least has achieved some kind of cult status at least among you know kids from the 80s um but like i feel like dread doesn't really still move the needle a whole lot on the in terms of pop culture and i I want that to change so badly because it's it's so deserving on every level you know and not just that it's a great action movie and that it's ultra violent and ultra crazy and and all this other stuff but the acting is great the writing is great it's a compelling story you know it's a simple story but it's you're invested in it i mean you're the moment as you were talking about the moment those doors close on that peach tree complex you feel it and you're like completely invested in every move that the two main characters make uh from that point that that says a lot about the the writing the directing the acting and it's it is a, a constant source of frustration i i watch dread maybe once a year maybe even twice a year and every time i just think why is this movie not talked about more often one of the things i've noticed i have my you know close group of friends who've among you guys who've seen it and i've noticed that when people bring it up they do it in a way that's almost like secretive like hey have you seen dread like they want to mm-hmm. they want to it's it's like schrodinger's dread like it it's it's it sucks and it's awesome at the same time until you open the door and realize which one mm-hmm. they they think it is so yeah. um listen to us aristotle latin schrodinger's dread <laughs> like this is this is the smartest episode we've ever recorded but and i think that's exactly why because people are like people just don't know what to make of it and then when you finally like for me i'm always like oh my god it's awesome and then whoever i'm talking to will be like right right was it not like just like super fucking fantastic and i think that's 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 the reaction that um on one hand it sucks that it wasn't bigger but on the other hand it's this hidden gem that like you know very few people will probably ever see relatively spro what are your final thoughts i final thoughts is if we have only two listeners and those two listeners tell their two friends and those two friends go you know like i think everybody could do their part to make jeremy rest easier at night and have dread be a more popular film and then we get cult following and then we get you know the alex garland uh director's cut of dread and we we move on from there oh wow that would be awesome i mean with all the rumors four hour dread how much of that would be 
fifty percent of that would be in slow motion, right? Like it would have to be. Yeah. Yeah. With all the with all the rumors of the rated R Mrs. Doubtfire cut swirling around, I would love to see a, a an extended version of Dread. So, all right. Well, this is the saddest part of the show. This is the part where we leave you. But as we do, we we encourage you to check out the movies that we've talked about. In this case, fortunately for you, both Dread and Judge Dread are streaming on Hulu, so you can decide how you want to do that experiment whether you want to take the pain first and watch the 95 version you know up your standards and watch the 2012 version or if you want to just dive into the 2012 version call it a day and then maybe someday later when you're you know feeling like you need a laugh watch the 95 version um but either way whatever you choose you need to check out dread because it's it's fantastic and i can say that as the judge jury and executioner of second chance cinema So thank you very much for joining us, following this um, stream. Check out how you can follow us on social media, how you can recommend movies, how you can tell us what idiots we are, whether you disagree, agree. We love to hear it all. We would love if you'd give us a follow. Download the podcast wherever you can because that helps with, I don't know, numbers, metrics, EBITDA, OEBITDA, whatever business people talk about, I guess. So, from Second Chance Cinema, I am MC. I'm Sprout. And I'm Jeremy. And we will see you next time, possibly with a shuffling co-host, possibly um, with a completely new genre of film. But either way, it'll be a film that um, you need to check out. You really do. And that's not a question. That's an order. From, like, like from Judge Dredd. Okay, cut it now. <laughs> Dread was produced by DNA Films, IM Global, and Reliance Entertainment. It was distributed by Entertainment Film Distributors and United International Pictures. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is from the film soundtrack, composed by Paul Leonard Morgan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at 2ndchancinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to, as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on, and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person you. And if someone you know is basing their opinion on Dread based off Sylvester Stallone's version, correct them for the sake of Jeremy. <laughs> Enjoy your day.